0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, good morning once again. You guys still doing all right? Still awake? Still excited? Honestly, it's like 80 degrees. You have to be excited about something. <laughs> after the winter that we had, this is like this is glorious. Um, I, uh, actually, you guys got snow like a month ago. I don't know if you know this, but in Wisconsin, we're farther down south. Um, but uh, I didn't, and it was right after I announced that I was coming here, and everyone at my church there said, "You do realize they're getting snow right now, right? Like of all the places that God could send you." And I was like, "That's what Jesus does. I gotta answer the call, but uh, no, this weather has been glorious, it's been uh, wonderful. Um, I actually, I'm that parent, uh, let my kids play outside a ton this week. Uh, My two-year-old son actually got sunburned, and uh, it was one of those moments, usually I'd feel really bad right now, I was like, hey, we can get sunburned again, this is awesome. Uh, I think he didn't feel that way, but... um, Wear a sunscreen from here on out, it's fine, but uh, excited to have the weather. Last week, if you were here with us, um, you heard Pastor Rob talk about, um, talk about Moses in the burning bush, and we're in the middle of this series on fire. We're going to be going through Scripture and, and taking a look at the times throughout Scripture where fire is mentioned and, and what, it, what it means and how God works through it. And uh, uh, it's just a lot of fun, because fire is fun. And if you were here last week, you also heard this story that Pastor Rob told about um, how he would light his clothes on fire as a kid and run through the streets to scare cars. Anyone else remember that story? Everyone's like chuckling, right? Literally, when I came on staff here, I knew that there was a lot of things that I looked up to Pastor Rob about, and I was like, I got to figure out, like, I want to know how he does this, and I want to know how he does this, and literally last night, I'm, or last week, I'm, I'm listening to this and writing down... I have to figure that secret out. I don't know how it works, but that's now on my list. Um, man of many talents, obviously. Um, but um, um, as I was thinking about it, though, I, I realized that uh, as, as as a boy growing up in uh, the country, in central Wisconsin, um, I have a few of my own fire stories. Um, some of them will probably stay in central Wisconsin, because I don't know if my parents will ever be able to listen to this, but uh, one of them, uh, actually, we, had, we always had access in the great state of Wisconsin to fireworks, um, and so it was constantly, we, we had a package of bottle rockets all summer long. I have a brother that's two years older than me. Everything I'm about to tell you is completely his fault, all right? All right. He's, if he's older, right, he's the one who's the influencer, but um, there, was this, there was this house next to us, and uh, there was a house kind of next to our garage, and then they had a garage on the backside of that, and the gentleman that lived there, it was kind of his summer cabin, and um, he had passed away a few years earlier. All of his family lived out of state, so they never came back and cleaned it out. So as boys, we would go searching, and uh, so we found in his garage this old ladder, And as a boy, when you find something cool, you have to destroy it. So we cut it up. We went out and got this hacksaw. It's an old metal ladder. And we realized as we cut through the side of it that it was hollow. So if you cut through the sides here and then the rung, it looks like a gun. And what's even better is when you plug up the back end of it so the ashes don't shoot out, you could drop a bottle rocket that's lit in there and you could shoot them at each other. I don't recommend this. Again, this story is breaking and entering and vandalizing and all of that, so please don't ever do that. And it's probably not safe to shoot bottle rockets at your brother. But again, he was older, so he was probably the one that influenced it. But we had a, a lot of fun with fire. Fire is one of those things that uh, um, I, think, I think all of us are just excited or fascinated about. And today we're actually going to talk about Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're about to find out why. But Elijah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Um, I absolutely love him. I love his attitude. I love how bold he is. And uh, I will pause and, and tell you exactly why. You're going to notice it right away when it says it. But uh, before we even dive into the story, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you want to start to open your Bibles or find that, um, if you use a, a phone or an iPad or something like that, feel free to do that, 1 Kings chapter 18. But before we even start there, let me give you some background of what's happened so we can set the stage for this story. In verse, or in chapter 16 at the end of it, this guy named Ahab becomes king of the Israelites, all right? So he becomes king. He, uh doesn 't follow God right He marries a woman named jezebel she 's from the land of Canaan, and they start to follow the God of the Canaanites um, is this God named Baal, so uh, instead of following god they 're starting to follow Baal. Baal is interesting because Baal is actually known as the rain god he 's the god that that rides on the clouds some some mythology would say so Baal, really, what he did is he sent the rain. He was in the thunder. He was in the storms. That was, that was where who, who Baal was. He was extremely important in Canaan. Canaan is a land that is completely landlocked. So without rain, crops don't grow. The Israelites came out of captivity in Egypt. In Egypt, the Nile runs right through the middle. And the Egyptians had figured out this intricate irrigation system, pulling water from the Nile so that even during drought, they could sustain for a while. But in Canaan, if their God, Baal, or so they thought, if he did not show up, if he didn't show up with rain or or storms, um, literally, there was no food, there was no sustenance, there was no life at all. So that's, that's, that's where we're at. Ahab is serving Baal. They believe that he is this rain god. And um, then in chapter 17, Elijah, who's a prophet of God, walks in. 17, uh, uh, verse 1 says this. It says, Neither dew nor rain except by my word. All right? So he comes in and says, says to King Ahab, That God has told me there will be no rain. Pretty much what God is saying here is going, All right, you think Baal can bring rain? Deal. I'll give him a shot. I'm just going to back away for a little bit and let's, let's see what happens. Um, it also says that over the next few years, there was no rain and even not even any dew on the ground. So that's where we pick up. We're in the midst of of an extremely deep drought, and we're going to pick up in chapter 18, verse 17. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today, so we're going to kind of break it up, and and so we'll read a chunk, and then we'll we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll read another chunk. But we're going to be reading most of chapter 18, starting in verse 17, if you wanted to read along. It says this, When he saw Elijah, this is Ahab now, he sees Elijah, He said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? Again, they're in the middle of the drought, and he's convinced because Elijah was the one that said, except by my word. So he's not happy with Elijah at all. This is the king, oh, troubler of Israel. Um, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replies, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me in Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before them and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is the Lord, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Little up or a little little background on the people of Israel here, as we're about to talk about this. The people of Israel, again, if you're familiar with Scripture, familiar with the Old Testament, um, they're extremely fickle people. All right, God delivers them from captivity from the Egyptians, and they're like, yay, this is great, we're free for like a whole day, and then they're like, oh no, there's a sea, we're all gonna die, and then God delivers them from that again, and they're like, hey, we made it to the other side, and then they don't have food, and then God sends them food, and then they're like, it's not the right kind of food, and they're literally, they're back and forth the entire time. These are the type of people, though, that... that um, they, you constantly see them throughout Scripture going back and forth. And um, what they're doing is they've, they've always tried and give God an escape clause. They'll always try and say, all right, God, you know what, you're, you're all right. I like you, and, and when you come through for us, when you give us manna, when you split the Red Sea so we don't get killed by all the Egyptians, whatever, hey, we're on board with that. But... If we're in a drought, maybe we'll pray to Baal too, because he's the rain god. So, you know, if we can do kind of both and, and we just kind of try both sides of it, then it's best of all worlds, right? Not what God wants. Not what God wants in our life. But that's what he's dealing with with um, the Israelites. Truth of the matter, though, is that God doesn't need our backup plans. How many of you guys know that God doesn't need our backup plans? Frankly, I think over and over again, he's insulted by them. And here you've got the Israelites who have a backup plan for God, and this backup plan is the God of Baal. Um, it's easy to point this stuff out. So often uh, we can read through scriptures, and, and for those of us that know the end of the story, it's really easy for us to jump on Elijah's side. And we're like, man, those Israelites, I can't believe them. I don't know why God would even keep them around. And, and, but when we really look at our own lives, how much are, are we like the Israelites? How many times in our own lives, if we had to be honest with ourselves, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, so just be honest with yourself internally, would you say that you've made a backup plan for God? I know that um, even when I was called into ministry, I was called into ministry as a junior high uh, student at Spencer Lake uh, Bible Camp, kind of the Lake Geneva of Wisconsin, and I was, I remembered, I was so excited, I was gung-ho about ministry, I was going to change the world for like a week and then um, we stopped having service every night, and I was like, wait a second, I don't know about this. Uh, there's not a ton of pastors that I know that make a lot of money, so I'm going to go this other route, but then don't worry, God, like, I'll tithe on it, and it, it'll all be good. Like, how many of you guys don't act like you haven't done that before? And then, so literally, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be a pharmacist, because I have an uncle, and he's a pharmacist, and, and he makes pretty good money, and I like math and science, so I could do that. And then, uh, so I actually went, and, and you could, like, job shadow people in high school, I went and job shattered a pharmacist. And um, I realized something very quickly. People that go to see pharmacists, um, they're all sick. And they don't really wanna talk to you. And I'm a really talkative person, I'm all bubbly. And I was like, hey, how you doing? And they will like, just give me my drugs. And I was like, oh, sorry about that. And, and I realized that this would not be fun for me. I, I would be terrible, because I would be like making jokes and everything else, and they don't really wanna hear it. They just fill the prescription and call it a day. So um, then I actually, um, in, in high school, I thought, that's no fun. And I'm, I'm more of a thrill seeker. So I'm going to be an Air Force pilot. That's because I have older brothers and sisters. And I watched Top Gun a lot as a kid. I was like, that is awesome. So I actually went through ground school. Um, as, a, as a senior in high school, I went through ground school, um, got into an airplane, a little Cessna, and started to like log some hours. And um, I believe it was completely God, because I love to fly. I, I, think it's, I think it's awesome. I love roller coasters. I have no problems with motion sickness. But for some reason, God knew I was out of line in that moment, even though I kept saying, oh, don't worry, God, I'll be like a missionary pilot or something like that. Like I'd always try and work his plan into my plan. And um, I literally, I got so sick, literally just going back and forth in in the Cessna, and I was like ready to crack a window on the plane, and it's like, this isn't going to work either. And then it was, it was my my freshman year at North Central. Um, My freshman year at North Central, I was sitting in the chapel at North Central University, and um, it wasn't like this huge moment where God came over me, it was literally like God tapped me on the shoulder, and he was like, Brandon, what are you doing? You know the calling that I've had for you. You keep trying to find other things to to fit my calling into. You know the calling that I have on your life. When we get done with all of our backup plans, when we we let go of all of our escape clauses is where God will really give us fulfillment. I promise you, the excitement um, that you will have by just following God's plan with reckless abandon, letting go of everything else, um, is more than you will ever imagine. But what we see here... In verse 21, though, is is we see Elijah stand before the the nation of Israel. It says he he went before all of the people. And you need to realize that the nation of Israel is literally a nation. It was millions of people. So he's got the 850 false prophets, 450 from Baal, 400 from Asherah, and the nation of Israel that says, meet me at Mount Carmel. Okay? Millions of people. Literally like saying, here's the deal. Grab your 850 false prophets um, and let's summon the entire population of the Twin Cities. Meet me at Buck Hill. It's going down. All right? Maybe not completely Buck Hill, but it's more fun that way. So this is, this is where they're at. So he's, he's talking to now the entire nation of Israel. And in verse 21, he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Make up your minds, people. That's what he's saying to him. Choose one or the other. You can't serve two gods. If you want to choose one, go for it. But just stand for something. And at the end of verse 21, it says this. It says, but the people said nothing. Not one person out of the millions that were there would step forward either way. The Israelites in this moment um, were actually in jeopardy of losing their identity." They were actually in this moment where they were going, you know, we don't want to offend anybody, we're in the land of Canaan, so maybe if we just kind of like stay over here, but yeah, we're Israelites, so yeah, we can have this part over here, and they know that. The problem was, is they didn't want to actually stand for anything, and they were losing their identity, which is funny, because we serve a God, and in First Peter 2, 9, it says that, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out into the darkness and out of the darkness into the wonderful light. We are a chosen people. The Israelites were a chosen people. God wanted to set them apart, and they weren't willing to make a stand for anything. Too often, I think, we are worried about making a decision, and we want to keep our backup plan, and we're not willing to go all in for what God has for us. But God wants us to follow his plan. Continuing on, uh, verse 22. It says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left but Baal has 450 prophets get two bulls for us let let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but do not set fire to it I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and God and the God who answers by fire he is the God then all of the people said what you say is good pausing for a second here's what he did he literally set up a challenge between two gods in the middle of Baal's wheelhouse, all right? Remember, Baal is the god of thunder and storms and lightning. Hey, fire from sky. So literally he said, here's the deal. If your god is real, I'm actually going to, this isn't going to be something off of the side, I will set up something that says, your god, who sends fire from the sky, or so you think, let's see if he can actually pull it off, then my god will step into your fictional God's wheelhouse and show you who the real God actually is. So that's why the people here are going, oh, this is good. This should be easy for Baal. But we hear the rest of the story. Verse 25, Elijah then said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, and, but do not light the fire. <clears throat> so they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal. From morning till noon, O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Then, my favorite verse in the entire sentence in the entire Bible, and why I love Elijah. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> okay, that's funny, all right? Just know, if some of you walked in here today and you're like, oh, I don't know about this whole church thing, and I think the Bible is all, like, traditional and everything else. No, no, no. Elijah gets awesome right here. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or maybe traveling. You know what? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he just needs to be awakened. Actually, the New Living Translation says, hold on, maybe he's relieving himself. It's just scripture, people. It's just scripture. Exactly. And thank you, Elijah just became one of your favorite characters in the Bible too. So all of this taunting is going on. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all of the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. With those stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a deep trench enough to hold two says of water. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and and even filled the trench. Let's pause for a second here. This water is significant. The first thing that we notice is, is I think, in our, our time is that, obviously, water makes things hard to burn, all right? And that's usually where our minds go when we sit there and go, oh, he's dumping water all over this thing, and um, this is going to prove that he can't light it, that only this has to be an act of God, because this thing is, is drenched, there's water all over the place. But there's another hidden thing here, and you have to remember this. They're in the middle of a drought. They've been in a drought for three years, So can you imagine the people that are standing there watching Elijah in their minds waste this precious resource? If this doesn't happen and if rain doesn't show up, to dump that much water on an altar and waste it, um, Elijah's sunk. So imagine even the people that are sitting there going, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, okay, if your God wants to send fire, that's fine, but leave our resources out of it. But what Elijah is saying here to the mass of Israel Right here, what he's saying is that not only can God still burn it, water doesn't matter, he can still light this thing on fire, but number two, that God is still the God of your resources. He can still provide everything that we're about to dump in here, everything that you feel attached to that you think is a precious commodity, God can replace it all. He can send the miracle, but he can also send the provision after the miracle. And I think one of the reasons that God loves to send those miracles, is because he loves our bold prayers. God loves bold prayers. Elijah easily could have just stepped up, and Elijah could have just put everything there and said, God send fire. But he was a guy who wanted to make sure there were no escape clauses. You know what? We're going to throw water on this thing. He's the guy who stood in in chapter 17, verse 1, we talked about that at the beginning, stood in Ahab's presence and said, there's not going to be a lick of rain, not even dew, All right? There's not going to be moisture, period. There's no contingencies there. There's no escape clauses of going, oh, I didn't mean this part. No, no, no. Nothing. Elijah's literally staying here, God can do everything. My bold prayers is because I believe that God will do this. God loves our bold prayers. Hebrews 4, chapter 16, or chapter 4, verse 16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we receive his mercy And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God loves bold prayers. God loves bold prayers. Continuing on, verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, I feel like he's just got this look in his eye when he turns to the king. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink for the sound of for there is a sound of heavy rain like I just, he's gotta have his voice must have just been the power that would have been that there's a sound of a heavy rain verse 36 let's break this down a little bit verse 36 Elijah says um, Elijah stepped forward and prayed if you notice the bulk of this scripture here is, is the prophets of Baal doing their song and dance and they're, they're prophesying and they're slashing themselves and they're, they're screaming out. It's interesting though that we serve a God that doesn't, doesn't require a song and dance. We serve a God who wants communication with us. He stepped forward and was able to speak with God. It wasn't about the ritual that was there, it was about the communication between Elijah and God. In verse 37, all of a sudden, we meet the purpose of this miracle. The miracle is is the fire that comes through there. But the purpose is, in verse 7, it says, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. There is not any length, any depth that God will not go to turn our hearts back to him. To go after his people, Again, these are the people that, that coming out of Egypt and then throughout the, the entire course of most of the Old Testament, are turning their back on God, but yet over and over again he sends miracles to say, no, 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 I am your provider, I am your God, please turn your hearts back to me. Please turn your hearts back to me. I believe that God can provide the miracle, which is the fire in this case, That God can provide the sustenance, which is the rain in this case, but he will not share the glory. He will not share the glory. For this whole thing to happen, the prophets of Baal had to go first. They had to go first and they had to fail miserably. There had to be the bold prayers so that Elijah would step forward and let everybody know before it even happened who was in charge of it because there was no denying the fact at that moment who was God, who the real God was, the God of Israel, that Baal was fake, that he was nothing more than something that was made up in someone's head, and that God was God, because he can provide it, but he will not share the glory. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us here today? Um, I believe there's three things uh, in this scripture that are this, kind of the three main points that I pulled out of it. The first one, this, is this. It's God is the only God. I think that's pretty obvious, that God is the only God. The second thing is that Elijah was only acting under the authority given to him by God. Even in his prayer, he said, God, that, that they would know everything that I have done is, is because of you, that you have sent me to do all of this. And the third thing is this, is that God still loved his people so much that he was willing to do whatever it takes to turn their hearts back to him. That's in that story. But let's translate it to today for us. Today, I believe that God is still the same God that he's always been. Hebrews uh, 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 8, says that Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today and is, will forever be. The same God that sent fire to Elijah to consume the altar is the exact same God that can send a miracle into your life today whatever you're going through, whatever is happening, whatever, whatever situation or circumstance that you're in, we serve a God, the exact same God that sent fire to Elijah, that can, that can send a miracle into your life. The second thing is that we are a church, <clears throat> and we are here to be used by Him, but to give Him the glory and the praise. We are here as a church that... that um, we should have this power. Mark uh, chapter 16 verse 17 says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name and they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, they will drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. It says that these signs will accompany, they will come along with you. We are a church, we are a, a body of believers that we have access to this power, we can be that conduit just like Elijah was so that we could give praise and miraculous... Or so that we can give praise to God and be his witness here. And the last thing is this. I believe that today he will still do whatever it takes to turn our hearts to him. That he'll stu- still do whatever it takes so that we can know that he is the real God. When we start looking at miracles, we start looking at the miraculous sign of fire. Um... You can't help but think of the most amazing miracle that's ever happened. In between now and this story of Elijah, there's this extremely important event, truth, history that happened. It was that God sent his son Jesus to live on this earth and to take our punishment, to die on a cross so that we could be free, so that we could experience freedom, so that we could, we could experience salvation. Communication, relationship with God because even though it, sacrificed, it meant sacrificing his own son God is still willing to do whatever it takes for us to turn our hearts back to him and today if you just want to bow your head, close your eyes just out of respect to the people around you I want to ask two things in, in closing today The first is this. The first is, do you need a miracle in your life? I don't know your situation. I don't know if it's provision and finances. I don't know if there's a relationship that has been broken. So funny, so often with relationships we'll say, "Um, yeah, it would take a miracle to mend that. (laughs) That's funny. I know a God who does miracles. I don't know what your situation may be, but today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to proclaim today that that you need a miracle, but you believe God for it, if you just want to slip up your hand and say, God, I need a miracle. You know my life. You know where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you. There's hands all across the place. I want you guys to know right now, I believe we serve a God who does miracles. And I'm going to pray for you in my closing prayer today that that God shows up in mighty and miraculous ways because we still serve a God who's the same today as He was in Elijah's time. He can send a miracle into your life. The second one is this, if you want to go ahead. Put your hands down. The second one is this, if you're here today and maybe in the midst of it all, you realized or maybe God laid on your heart that you're a little bit more like the Israelites than sometimes we want to admit. I don't know if you've given your life to Jesus at some point, but but you've been kind of trying to go back and forth and and, and have an escape clause or a backup plan. Or maybe you've never even given your life to Christ because you've been trying to do it on your own and figure it out. But today, the Holy Spirit has been working on you and you say, you know what, I need to live God's plan for my life. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, again, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to slip up your hand and say, God, I boldly proclaim that I need to give you my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you before we dismiss. God, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that in the midst of it all, in the craziness of it all, you still speak to us. And I thank you that we serve a God who is living and who is active. Lord God, that you can still do miracles today. And Lord, I pray for those that raise their hand. I pray that you enter into their situation, Lord God. Only you know what it is. And Lord God, you touch their lives, that you send a miracle. Lord God, whether it be provision, whether it be relationships, whatever it may be, Lord God, I pray that you show up in a mighty and miraculous way today. Lord God, we as your people promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. We know that that it is only by your name and by your power that this happens. But Lord, we boldly approach your throne saying, this is where we need it. This is where we need your grace. This is where we need your mercy, Lord God. Enter into this situation. And Lord God, I pray for those today that that risk that lifted their hands to turn their hearts back to you. God, I thank you so much for the greatest miracle of all, salvation, that we, even though we are sinners, and even though we have turned our back on you and failed over and over again, you have provided a way for us to still spend eternity in heaven with you. And Lord God, we know that it is only by a relationship with you God, I pray right now for those that lifted their hands. I pray that you draw them closer to you. I pray that you become real in their lives, Lord God. Lord, and we promise in all of this, as you turn our lives around, as you send miracles, Lord God, we promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. We will not forget. We will not turn our backs, Lord God, because we know that it is not by our strength, not by our power, not by our might, but by the Spirit of your Son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit of God and we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray today. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me? I'm going to ask the prayer team to, to start to make their way forward. I want to I want to say this. If you raise your hand and you need a miracle, um, I encourage you to come forward. That last part of the verse, Mark chapter uh, chapter 16, verses 17, it says, and they will lay hands on you and the lame will be cured, the sick will be healed. These are the people that we have for you. These are these are people who are prayed up. They're ready for this moment. They're excited to lay hands on you and pray with you and pray for you so that God can do a miracle. There's something really cool about this story is that God used Elijah. He didn't have to. Last week we talked about the fire of the burning bush. That was God. God was alone and he used his own miracle, his own presence to speak to Moses. This one God used elijah and i believe that god is going to use these people up front and work through them to give you the miracle that you need i believe that second of all uh, those of you that raised your hands for salvation to turn your turn your hearts back to god there's a booklet it's called what's or now what it's a great little booklet it's short and it just kind of walks through what your next steps are how to get involved how to start reading scripture um takes you through salvation and what that really means in your life, I encourage you to come on up, pray with one of these guys, let them know the decision that you made, and grab one of these booklets from from them. They know where to find them. Just so that we want to make sure that we walk alongside you. That's why we're here as a church. Just so you know, none of us are perfect. We've all screwed up multiple times. But we as a church are here as accountability to help each other go through this thing called life, go through this thing called salvation and Christianity and follow Christ the best that we can. And it's so much easier when you do it in community. I encourage you to be a part of that. I encourage you to step out and tell somebody you made that decision today. I'm excited for what God's gonna do throughout the course of this week. Are you? All right, it's gonna be good. Thank you so much. I'm excited to see you next week. Feel free to come on up, use the prayer team. If not, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much.